Hello, hello, friends. Hopefully we are not in a panic or a frenzy. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of shit going on. And I think uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, more of the fear state, to be perfectly honest. Um, for sure, we need to take care of our health. For sure, uh, there is <laughs> a giant outbreak. Uh, not quite like the movie outbreak, but um, something to be mindful of. But I think something to be mindful of that's more important than any of this is mindfulness and uh, really living the life that we want to live in every stage of life. So when there is panic and there is fear, to understand that the way we operate best, no different than a fight. You know, if I step into a fight and uh, I fight angry, that's not emotionally at neutrality and that will lead to burnout. If I fight scared and in a state of fear, that too will keep me tense. I won't be loose. I won't flow. In any action that I take in life, whether it's a fight or a fucking business meeting or a podcast, if I'm in a state of fear, fight or flight, anxiety, anger, worry, shame, guilt, any negative emotion for that matter, I'm not going to operate my best. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how do I want to live right now? And the answer to that should be, I want to be at peace. And that's really hard to swallow when you consider all of the shit going on right now. But if you take a step back and you look out in nature and you see all the birds flying around and you see there is some silver lining to this, even if there is a, a lockdown. And I know there's a bunch of fucking fake news text messages going around saying, yeah, I know somebody who's uh, up in the White House right now, and uh, I know a Navy SEAL, and he told me that uh, the Stafford Act is going to go through, and we're going to be on lockdown in the next 48 hours, so fucking stockpile all your Campbell's soup and all this other shit. And it's like, look, for sure, get water. For sure, get toilet paper. But if you're stuck at your house, you can shower and wash your ass that way. There's a lot of workarounds. Um, fill, your free, you know, fill your freezers full of meat, things like that. Grab a bag from Costco of rice or something that's going to last, but don't go out worrying about the end of days. We're not there yet. If there is something that, that trickles down from the issues surrounding an outbreak like this and financial collapse and shit like that, cross that road when it happens. Prepare yourself as best you can, but don't fucking stress because that thing will kill you faster than anything else. Stress is the number one killer. And as we've talked about from books like Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Robert Sapolsky, and of course, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy by Paul Check, stress will lead you down a rabbit hole. And as my man Ted Decker says, fear begets more fear. Same thing Paul Selig says through the guides. I mean, everywhere you look, you can see fear. You can see it in the way people drive and the way people interact with one another. I'm not saying go up and make out with people. You know, you can do the elbows, you can do all that. But just remember to carve space out for yourself, especially if you're quarantined at home for the next couple of weeks, or if you've decided it's better to just work from home. Don't forget to take a deep breath. Don't forget to relax. Don't forget to work out with your kettlebell. Don't forget to stretch. Don't forget to sit in nature. And don't forget to throw on some easy listening tunes and take a deep breath and relax. That's it. All right. Today's guest after that ramble, is my dude, Max Lugavere, another pioneer, uh, not quite a pioneer, I would say, but somebody who has pushed the envelope and taken us steps further on how to live a beautiful, optimized life. He was the author of Genius Foods, which is a fantastic book on, um, I guess it's just on how to eat, but now he's written The Genius Life, which is on how to live, and it has a lot to do with the our need for sunlight yet another thing to do is get the fuck out of your house while you're on quarantine even if you're in your backyard and people may laugh at this too maybe there is no quarantine who fucking knows right my point is get in your backyard be in nature let the sun hit you if it's a cloudy day still go in the fucking backyard if it's raining have an umbrella but be outside for a portion of the day um Anywho, he will drop tons of science on photobiomodulation, as my boy Matt Maruka, who was on the show, really dove deep into. He drops a lot of science on food still, different lifestyle choices, weight training being the number one way to work out by far, uh, by far. And uh, Paul Check just had an interesting blog that talked about the cardio industry and cardiovascular health and how cardio equipment came along 
right at the collapse of our cardiovascular system. And uh, really that had to do with the industrial revolution and uh, a lot of the food products that were being introduced from hydrogenated oils, big agriculture, all that shit, follow the money, search back in time and you will find it. So all that to say, you can find um, so much valuable information in this podcast with Max and in his book, The Genius Life, which is uh, an incredible read. Today's show is brought to you by some really important supplements and different companies that I think uh, may be of value in this time. Um, you know, it's really hard to get organ meats. And uh, if you don't already have them on stock, it might be even harder to get them. But there is one way, and that is through ancestralsupplements.com. This episode in particular is brought to you by Grass Fed Brain by Ancestral Supplements. Ancestral Supplements makes New Zealand source nose to tail organ meats, bone marrow, and brain in simple, convenient gelatin capsules. Traditional peoples, Native Americans, and early ancestral healers believed that eating the organs from a healthy animal would strengthen and support the health of the corresponding organ of the individual. For instance, the traditional way of treating a person with a weak heart was to feed the person the heart of a healthy animal. Similarly, brain was frequently consumed and believed to support brain, memory, and mood health. Included in beef brain are neurotropic factors that support the survival of existing neurons and encourages the growth of new neurons as well as, help me out here, sphingomyelin, which plays a central role in the myelin sheath and cell signaling very important for the central nervous system and the brain. Visit ancestralsupplements.com to see what they can do for you. Ancestral supplements, putting back in what the modern world has left out. And if you use code KING10 at checkout, you'll get 10% off everything in the store. These guys are fantastic. We're also brought to you today by Amp Human. Amp Human is doing all sorts of cool stuff. They have a PR lotion, which is absolutely one of the coolest products I've ever used. The kit includes one bottle and five on-the-go packets, which combined support 20 to 25 workouts plus free domestic shipping. PR Lotion is the only high-tech sports lotion that unlocks the natural electrolyte bicarb. It is used by athletes at every level to reach training goals faster. Next-gen PR Lotion has a new and improved texture and dries faster and goes on smoother than the original PR Lotion. Amp Human is creating a new category of tools to conquer the limitations of the human body. Its groundbreaking absorption technology allows vital nutrients to bypass the GI system and deliver directly through the skin. PR Lotion is this flagship product and delivers sodium bicarb, a natural electrolyte through the skin. Bicarb buffers acid that builds up in the muscle during exercise, allowing you to train harder and recover faster. So in times like this, I know what you're thinking. Maybe I don't need to work out as much, but no. Working out boosts the immune system. So long as we're working in, working out is good for your body, good for your brain, good for your stress levels. As long as you leave two in the tank, as my dude Pavel says, don't overdo it, don't underdo it, stay right in that happy medium, continue to work out, and using something like PR Lotion is fantastic because it allows you to train harder and recover faster, and if you ever find yourself having to trek 50 miles because shit hits the fan, I promise you this is the best thing you could put on your body because it's going to prevent cramping and allow you to push harder and further. So go to amphuman.com slash Kyle. And you can try PR Lotion by checking out their starter kit via amphuman.com slash Kyle. And don't forget to add all caps KYLE20 at checkout for 20% off everything they've got here. This show is also brought to you by Sated Keto Meal Shakes. These guys make it easy to stay keto when you're busy or don't have time to cook. They're delicious and convenient on the go. Comes in two ready-to-drink flavors, chocolate and vanilla with less than two grams of net carbs per meal and no added sugar. It's got MCTs, omega-3s, prebiotic fiber, and 27 vitamins and minerals to give you everything you need throughout your day. And if you are stockpiling up on uh, food right now to that's going to last, if you're stockpiling on food that's going to last, this is definitely something I want to have in my fridge. It's awesome on the go, and it's basically a full meal in one glass. So in terms of things that you would stockpile, you want things that are calorie dense and nutrient dense, and this fits the bill. Go to sated, that's S-A-T-E-D dot com slash Kyle and use code Kyle at checkout for 20% off store wide. That's all caps K-Y-L-E, 20% off to take advantage of their great deal. Last but not least, my dudes at One Farm are making the best in CBD products. CBD has been shown to boost the immune system, also to lower anxiety and to improve sleep, which is probably number one for immune function and cognitive function. 
and recovery in general. These guys are exactly what they say, one single farm. Just like buying the best coffee beans, you want single origin. You want the best wine, you want single origin, organic, biodynamically farmed wine. And the same goes for CBD. All the best cannabinoids are going to be found in here, full spectrum, including 0.3% THC, as well as a full list of terpenes and other incredibly beneficial immune boosting products will be found within their CBD product by going to onefarm.com slash Kyle, and you're going to get 15% off store-wide. They have facial serums, nighttime creams, as well as drinkable water-soluble CBDs and all kinds of cool stuff there. Make sure you stock up on that. Thank you guys for tuning into today's show. Remember, take a deep breath, sit back, let this shit blow over, and uh, pay attention to your health because now more than ever, we must recognize sooner or later, your health will be your number one concern. As my man Paul Check has stated many, many years ago, sooner or later, your health will be your number one concern. Here we go, folks. Thanks for tuning in. All right, we're clapped in. Max Lugavere has joined us once again. Yo, yo. My man. It's good to be here. And you got your new book, The Genius Life. Got my heal, new book. Heal your mind, strengthen your body, and become extraordinary. That's what everybody wants, right? That's right. We, we, we want it all. We want it all. Strong bodies, strong minds, and to transcend our meager human condition. That's kind of what... Uh, I think is the you know is what we all at the end of the day want, and there's like different roads to get to each of those places. But um, yeah, I'm super grateful to have gotten the the opportunity to write this and kind of put my thoughts into the mix. And um, it's a book about uh, it's primarily looking at relationships. So you know the relationship between the brain and the body, the body and its external environment, um, and it's it's very lifestyle focused. Like my first book was more uh, of a deep dive into the world of nutrition and specifically how nutrition relates to cognitive health, mental health, which, you know, you'd think that those two would be, well, they are intimately connected, but um, I don't think to most people, most people are cognizant of that link. But this book is more of like a 360 degree lifestyle guide. And uh, I had a, a super traumatic experience while writing it, actually. Um, my mother passed away mm. and, uh, she was the impetus for the yeah. first book you wrote. Yeah, my mom is the, she was the motivator for all of my work, pretty much. I mean, I never, you know, if you asked me 10 years ago what my career would look like, I never would have expected that it would be getting to talk to guys like you and being, you know, uh, able to, to for a living, talk about nutrition and, and exercise and all the things that, that we do. But um, my mom, at a very young age, she developed dementia. And uh, it started to emerge, at least in terms of our observation, at the age of 58 in about 2010. And ultimately she was diagnosed with a form of dementia called Lewy body dementia, which is basically like having Alzheimer's and Parkinson's at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she was super young. Um, as I mentioned, you know, 58 is not some, it's not the age at which you would typically expect to see, you know, those kinds of, of cognitive changes. And I had no prior family history of any kind of neurodegenerative condition. And it was just, it was just awful to watch the person you love most in the world uh, descend into into what dementia ultimately um, looks like, and that's something that you know my family had to contend with for about eight years. And that whole time, I was just obsessed with trying to understand why this would have happened to her, what could be done to help her, if anything, what I could do to prevent it from ever happening to myself. And so that that really initiated my my journey, and it's what led to the writing of Genius Foods. But after I wrote Genius Foods, I realized that nutrition is just one part of the story. And that there's so much more, you know, there's our relationship with light, there's our relationship with exercise, there's our relationship with temperature. I mean, you talk about this stuff all the time. It's such a, it's so amazing how there's so much to learn, right? And so I, I felt like there was definitely another book in there, like a, a, a more practical lifestyle guide. And it was just after I had gotten back from Burning Man, which was the first time I'd ever gone. Uh, Labor Day 2018, my first my first Burning Man experience. I had just gotten back to LA and uh, I got a call from my brother that my mom had seemingly overnight turned yellow. And uh, this was, um, it was essentially jaundice. You could turn yellow if you, you know, people who've eaten too many carrots, if you eat too much beta carotene, it could turn your skin you know, a strange hue, but- Donald Trumpish. Donald, a little <laughs> Donald Trumpish, yeah. 
Uh, but the difference with jaundice is that the whites of your eyes turn yellow as well. And that's caused by a buildup of a pigment called bilirubin, which is what gives stool its color. It backs up into your blood, it seeps into your skin and eyes. And normally when that happens, or not normally, but typically you'd expect to find a gallstone that's like blocking you know, one of the bile ducts. They did an MRI of my mom's abdomen and they discovered a tumor on the head of her pancreas. Mm. And it was just from one moment to the next, my mom was put on hospice and uh, not to not to be a downer to the intro of this interview, but um, but it really caused me to you know look at the world in a new way, and this is something that I'll probably continue to do for the rest of my life. That my mom developed not one but two of humanity's most feared conditions um, from out of nowhere, seemingly uh, almost overnight. It's just you know it it made me kind of see the world in a new way, and whether it's the environmental toxins that we're exposed to on a near regular basis or um, the fact that we're now more sedentary than ever before or the fact that our diets have become saturated with ultra processed foods with you know potentially pro-inflammatory chemicals in them it's uh it's this investigation that for me isn't going to stop and so this is the next yeah it's sort of the next chapter and i wrote it in the middle of all that stuff so um so i tried to do as thorough of a job as i could while not fear-mongering which i think can become pretty easy when you're yeah. when you're in that space but yeah i hope it i hope it resonates yeah no and that, i definitely love that you opened up with that if people didn't get to listen to the first episode we'll link to it in the show notes um <clears throat> i think that's something that a lot of people run up against when they realize that western medicine isn't going to solve the issue that's happening yeah dude and so you the more you learn the more you begin to realize like i don't know where the fuck to point my finger yeah there are so many potentials here yeah. And it could be, a, it's more than likely a combination of many things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. It's a, a famous JFK quote. Uh, it's true. I mean, none of, none of humanity's most feared conditions develop overnight. Cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, and pancreatic cancer in particular. It's particularly evil. Most 90% of the time, at least, um, it's at least 90% of the time when it's discovered, it's already too late. They don't have any routine screening process, uh, practices for pancreatic cancer. So I think people need to be just more mindful of their surroundings and, and realize that, um, that, that there's no time like the present to start taking steps that are going to minimize your risk for these conditions. And while there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all diet or one-style you know, one size fits all lifestyle paradigm. We are now at a time where we're on track to become a nation where one in two adults is obese, not just overweight, but obese. They've even created a new category, severely obese. I think one in four adults are on their way there. That's not even, I'm not just talking about people who are overweight. Leisure time, physical activity is at an all time low. About 12% of people are in what, you know, researchers would call good metabolic health, meaning 98% of people are not, or sorry, 88% of people are not in good metabolic health, which is, which is, you know, super unfortunate. Um, and that affects everything from your risk for cancer. It affects your risk for neurodegeneration. Um, so yeah, I think it, it really starts with the steps that you can take in your lifestyle today that are going to really batten down the hatches and improve your health. And so I talk about the nutritional recommendations that I make in the book. They're a little bit different than what I talked about in Genius Foods here. I think I really drive home the point that protein is a super important tool. I, I know you're well aware of this. People in the fitness community are super aware of this, but the masses are not, especially when they're being fed lies all the time about protein. We, you know, we eat too much protein. Animal protein is unhealthy, yada, yada, yada. And so I really um, hope to, to separate fact from fiction and let people know that protein is the most, you know, it's the most satiating macronutrient. So in terms of of sniping your hunger, there's nothing like a piece of protein. Um, it's also, you get sort of a metabolic advantage by consuming more protein because of the thermic effect. Uh, you know, most people might know that um, calories, uh, fat has nine calories per gram. Carbs and protein typically are thought of as, as having four calories per gram, but actually protein has about three. So you get kind of a free ride with protein just because it has like a 30%, there's a 30, 30% of the calories that you consume via protein are burned off. Mm. um via the thermic effect of feeding i was wondering if it was like the the water the water what do you mean like high volume oh, content oh, of water, water found in meat yeah something like that but no yeah. it's just the fact that protein caught there's a there's a metabolic cost to consuming protein it takes energy to um to metabolize and uh 
it's satiating. It's the best. Uh, I mean, it's the most important macronutrient in terms of growing and maintaining lean mass. Having more muscle in your body is crucial as we age. There's a direct relationship between muscle strength um, and yeah. Dr. Andy Dolphin really drives that home in, in the book Unplugged. And, and obviously, if you follow him, even though I'm off Instagram, he was one of my favorite people hmm. to follow because he'd post stuff like your ability to get up and down off the floor yeah. matters. And then they, they've done other studies about that, you know, when it comes to if you're gonna have a fall and break your hip when you're older, um, or if you're gonna wind up in hospice care or not. And grip strength was a huge thing for that, right? Because no matter yeah. if you're a man or woman, upper body strength fades if you're not actually using it like anything else. Right. But if your grip strength is there, that means that you've, I mean, at the very least done like a loaded carry or lifted some type of weight. And if you've done that, then that's what's going to change uh, your potentials for osteoporosis and things like that, being under load. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, grip strength is a really easy metric to to measure, um, but I don't think that it's necessarily, you know, I, uh, I got to go on a TV show where I was talking about that study. And, you know, my, my view is that the key to, to boosting your brain health or your vigor is not to increase your grip strength. You know, oh, no doubt. Increase, I just think of yeah. that as like a byproduct of, of course, yeah, actually a, lifting yeah, weights. It's like a surrogate marker, but I think it's, yeah. it's also been shown that upper body strength, lower body strength directly, I mean, related to brain health and, you know, having bigger muscles on your body directly inversely related to, um, you know, insulin resistance and things like that. So the more muscle we have, the more insulin sensitive we're going to be. Uh, muscle, having more muscle in your body is crucial as a glucose disposal sink. You know, we live in a time where, where your average American is consuming 300 grams of carbohydrates per day, particularly high glycemic refined carbs from ultra processed foods. And your body is sort of like a New York City apartment in, in terms of its glucose storage capacity. I mean, you could store a little bit in your liver, but by and large, the more muscle you have in your body, the more resistance training you do, it's basically like you're growing your closets to be able to store those excess carbs that might make their way onto your plate, um, which you can't do in a New York City apartment. So um, so, it's, so it's, it's really the most, I think, powerful exercise modality there is. There was a new study that came out, I forget the journal that it was published in, that found that it actually grew very vulnerable parts of the hippocampus, which are... Um, vulnerable obviously to aging but also it's the hippocampus is the memory center of the brain it's the first structure to be uh, affected by alzheimer's disease so mm. i'm a, i'm a huge fan of resistance training and in terms of getting the most bang for your buck making sure that what you're doing in the gym is going to is going to actually have that payoff consuming protein um is important so that's something that i advance in the book that i think is really cool making sure that you're not consuming just uh lean chicken breast either that's something that my mom did um, growing up, you know, she was a very low meat eater, but when she did eat meat, it was just for the protein. So she ate skinless, boneless chicken breast. And something that I, that I bring up is that not all protein is, is created equal. I mean, there's the quality issue, but generally when we're talking about meat or dairy, the quality is amazing. Um, but you want to make sure that if you're consuming lots and lots of muscle meat, you're balancing that out with collagen, um, you know, there's this there's this suggestion in the literature that when we consume too much methionine, it might actually be pro-inflammatory mm. and shorten our lifespans. Methionine is is particularly concentrated in muscle meat. It's an amino. It's an essential amino acid. But when you're eating like the lean, skinless, boneless chicken breast as your primary source of protein, like the, that, the dieter who's doing that is maximally raising their needs for glycine, which is found predominantly in collagen, and getting very little of it because there's very little glycine in a uh, in, in muscle meat. It's part, it's, it's primarily found in collagenous tissue, um, you know, skin and things like that. So eat the skin, eat, you know, organ meats, uh, bone eat, broths. eat bone broths. Yeah. Eat meat around the joint. So like dark meat, um, chicken wings, chicken wings, dark meat, chicken, chicken thighs are actually a wonderful source of vitamin K2 actually, which is okay. great for collagen, uh, not collagen for calcium deposition. In the I got body. three pounds of, of, uh, chicken thighs. We're, we're going to grill up tonight. For that's awesome. Yeah. Ob's assistant's coming tasty. over for dinner tonight. Yeah. That's super. That's, that's fascinating. I think that's a really good point to make too, for anybody who's a bodybuilder listening to this, that diets with chicken breast, tilapia and fucking asparagus. Yeah. Throw some bone broth in there. You're still not going to add fat. You'll get some extra protein, at least round yourself out a little bit. Totally. Hedge I your bets. Yeah, you need to get. I've I've read certain research calculations that estimate our needs for glycine being about fifteen grams per day. Your average omnivore consumes about two grams of glycine per day, just because there's a there's a there's going to be a tiny bit in in muscle meat, um, and 
we synthesize about two grams of glycine every single day. That's why glycine is not actually considered an essential uh, amino acid, but I think it's a conditionally essential amino acid. When we eat more protein, especially muscle meat, you really want to make sure that you're getting adequate glycine. So collagen is one of the few supplements uh, that I take when I, you know, when I know that I'm not getting bone broth or any of these things. Um, I also actually like to supplement with with glycine, and I have no financial affiliation with any collagen <laughs> big, manufacturer. Big glycine, big amino acids big glycine, is supporting yeah. this podcast right now. Um, but no, I mean supplementary glycine they've shown can actually boost sleep quality. Um, and uh, and so yeah, yeah. Doctor Doctor Craig Conover was just on the podcast out in Tulum, and that's something that he recommended to Aubrey and I two years ago when we started working with him, hmm. you know, cause we're obviously we have new mood and melatonin and all this other shit. And he's like, take, take a whopper of glycine right before you go to sleep, hmm. you know, three grams and up and see what happens. And we were just like, wow, hmm. this is incredible. Yeah. It's cool. I've been doing it. I also have a theory. Well, so glycine is also rate limiting in the synthesis of glutathione, which is our body's master detoxifier, master antioxidant. And I talk in the book all about the most common um, environmental toxins that people are exposed to on a daily basis and why they're so treacherous and why you need to minimize your your exposure to them with the acknowledgement that you're not gonna be able to completely eliminate your exposure to these to these chemicals. But needless to say, um, the overall toxicity burden on, on your average human today is unprecedented on the human timescale. So what can we do to optimize our body's glutathione production? I think consuming more glycine, especially if you're an omnivore. See, vegans and vegetarians, the one thing that they that they seem to do right is that that balance, that methionine glycine balance is already being met by them. But an omnivore, if you're consuming, again, primarily muscle meat, that's where you really have to kind of like either practice nose to tail consumption, which I know, you know, a lot of the people in the carnivore space actually do. Uh, but hopefully now, hopefully now, Thanks yeah. To guys like Paul Saladino. Paul Saladino, yeah. brilliant guy. Yeah. I mean, he, I know that he advocates for that. Um, but yeah, you might actually, if you're, if you're not getting adequate glycine, you might be actually, uh, kind of strangling your body's ability to produce glutathione because, you know, there's this idea that was advanced by um, Bruce Ames, who's like this like longevity researcher, uh, great dude. Um, He's, uh, I used to train at the Ames Research Center at Moffett Field. Oh, that's That's dope. where they invented the Vasper system. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it was right down the street from me in Mountain View. He seems like, I mean, he's just like a legend, that guy, uh-huh. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Ames triage theory of aging, you know, like that, that, when resources in the body are scarce, they basically get funneled towards the processes that are gonna support survival over longevity. Like your immediate survival takes precedent over over longevity and preventing age-related chronic diseases and things like that. So if glycine is limited, you know, you might, and, and it might become limited if all you're doing is consuming methionine. And it's sort of above my pay grade to understand like, exactly how this happens but it has to do with like methylation and the fact that glycine is used as a buffer um, to basically detox excess methionine um but that if you're not consuming adequate uh glycine you might actually be sort of limiting um your body's capacity to produce glutathione which is the super important detoxifier so i wonder if that's kind of the issue too like one of the one of the things that that people will state as an argument against protein consumption or high amounts of protein is that ammonia is going to build up Hmm. and you're going to see it and it's like i think i think our systems are designed to handle that obviously if you talk to a guy like saladino and you look back through the history they can something that he talked about on the podcast with me was, you know, we have carbon dating. Well, there's a different type of dating that they can use to analyze teeth and see exactly what kind of foods we're eating. Hmm. And a lot of the old, old cultures from across time were not carnivore hundred percent, but consumed a lot of meat. And if you think about the megafauna that was around like mastodons that were four times the size of an elephant is today, that makes a lot of sense. You kill one mastodon, everyone in the tribe's going to eat for a long time and be satisfied. Right. Um, but if it's so clearly we're capable of that you know we're yeah. capable of doing well and living well from having higher amounts of meat in our diet yeah I'm a but huge, if it's yeah. nose to tail then maybe that's curbing some of that ability for your body to process ammonia and some of these other products if you're not having if you're not no, having if, you, the, if you are getting nose to tail that it's yeah. gonna it's gonna oh yeah it's curbing your benefit your, yeah it's yes, gonna yes, benefit yes. that you won't have excess ammonia you won't have excess a lot of the shit that, that people are studying perhaps yeah. in like a modern society where it is only chicken breast and tilapia that someone's consuming. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the nutrition is complicated, right? That's one of the things that I think that vegans and vegetarians do right. And I, I have had this conversation with Chris Masterjohn, who's a, you know, he's, I look up to him as a, as a mentor. He's a brilliant um, PhD in nutrition. We talk about this. Um, 
you know, it's eating a plant-based diet is not going to, you know, be optimal in terms of micronutrition, um, you know, in, in my view, and it doesn't provide adequate protein for, uh, you know, maintaining strength and lean mass. Usually you'll see, you know, vegan bodybuilders supplementing with copious amounts of, of supplementary protein. But one that thing- happened though in, in our ancestral lineage, they would just come across a monocropped pea farm and just start eating all yeah, the peas, right? right? Like <laughs> yeah, that that, course, that for course. sure happened. They get 40 <laughs> grams of pea protein in a whack. Yeah, no way. Um, yeah, there was a study. Yeah. I just, it's not as, it's not as high quality. I mean, it, it can be done. Look, but, um, but they, they do, they are probably getting a balance of methionine and glycine. So whether or not they're getting, um, adequate total, you know, total volume of amino acids and, and essential amino acids and protein and leucine for, for muscle maintenance, um, that balance is being sort of taken care of. Um, so yeah, I'm actually pro, I'm super pro meat. I'm not a carnivore, but I'm, uh. I think I'm pretty balanced and then I advocate for like, I'm super pro the consumption of animal products, but then I also think that vegetables have value as well. You know? Well, there's, that's the conversation I had with Paul was that, yeah. look, there are plant medicines out there yeah. and even mushrooms, according to Stamets and the world's leading mycologists, behave more like animals than plants. Interesting. So you could consider fungi to be a part of a carnivore diet, a strict carnivore diet. Wow. Right. And that's something I used to curb when I was originally running like 100% carnivore, I started to add in uh, mushrooms to curb the the shits because I shit my pants in my son's <laughs> school and I had to fucking limp out of there with shit running down my legs. It was all bad. Uh, anywho though, um, of course, not being dogmatic about it, I add back in avocado and macadamia nuts and there's no fucking issues. I still have all the benefits of carnivore, the energy and all that stuff. It's still very low carbohydrate, but I have enough fiber to, to not have to shit liquid for six weeks Jeez. as my body adjusts. Yeah, I think the thing with plants is that, I mean, plants store energy. So most people today, I mean, if you look at the diets that most Americans are consuming, they're plant-based diets. I mean, you go through the, you walk through the aisles of your average supermarket, the most toxic foods in your, in your modern supermarket are plant-based. I mean, they're the ultra-processed grain products. They're the grain and seed oils. Those are plant-based products. Um, I don't think that those are the problem. I think that, uh, you know, I think that if you have a robust immune system, I do think that um, compounds like polyphenols, which I know that Dr. Saladino loves to poke fun at, you know, he'll like take a shirtless selfie and he'd be like, you know, look at this polyphenol deficiency, you know, like, <laughs> how am I looking, you know, am I looking sickly? But um, no, but I think that for somebody with a healthy, robust immune system, I think that those those xenohormetic compounds are only going to improve the system by, by stressing it to a mild degree, you know? Um, so I, you know, I advocate for for the consumption of plants, and I think that polyphenols and carotenoids and things like that uh, are going to be beneficial. You can also find carotenoids um, in animal tissue as well. I can only get it, and I know I've stated this a million times on this podcast, but one of the things that my wife and I learned by outsourcing our genetic, our raw genetic data to FoundMyFitness.com was that we cannot take beta carotene from carrots and sweet potatoes and actually convert it into usable vitamin A. Mm. We can only get that from egg yolk and organ meat, which is a very important micronutrient. Super. Super, yeah. super fucking important, right? Cell replication and, and immune function and a whole host of other things, very important. Also can't do it with omega-3 fatty acids. We cannot take ALA from chia seeds and flaxseed oil and convert that into DHA, which is hypercritical for the brain, as you know. Yeah. So, but that, that just levels the argument. And so what I try to tell people is, if you're gonna go vegan, do it for the right reasons. Don't do it because you're going to save the planet. You're not going to fucking save the planet. And right. the whole planet is not going to go vegan. And Elon Musk just posted on Twitter, the entire world could be vegan and it will not change climate change. <laughs> wow. It won't. We're pulling too many fucking, too many oils out of the earth that have been there for millions of years and pumping them in the atmosphere. It's not going to change it. Yeah. You, uh, martyring, you know, acting like a martyr, martyring yourself. I don't know if you could say that, but, uh, being, a, I just think it's the wrong, that's the wrong play. Um, if you are, super you just can't live with yourself with the fact that you're killing a mammal um you know i mean we could even you know examine that a little bit further right because there's the, the industrial food complex there's blood on everybody's hands at this point like the growing of of monocrop cereals and grains um you're decapitating countless rabbits and squirrels and insects and you know just leading to the 
dehabit uh, habitation of of countless animals and, and fucking up the soil and yeah all those living organisms in the soil organisms. are dying yeah you i forget what podcast i was listening to i somewhere i was talking somebody was you know they they made this great point um and it's so true that you could basically if you were to take down a cow i mean that could feed your entire family for for I don't know how long, a long time. It could feed you for a very long time if you were the only person eating that cow. So the total cost, if you look at the area under the curve of suffering, you know, by being an omnivore and by eating that that singular cow or animal, you're probably leading to a lot less net suffering than somebody who thinks that there's no blood on their hands because they're eating a, a vegan or vegetarian diet. You just can't, you know... We're, we're, we're implicated in suffering no matter what by partaking in the modern world. And life takes life. So no matter what, you don't get out of here without taking something that is living and consuming it. Exactly. And the closer it is to being alive, the better it is for you. The longer it's been dead or processed or whatever, and you can look at that even on meat, fresh raw meat, fresh from a kill is going to be better for you than beef jerky that's been sitting on the shelf for six months. Yeah. And you look at food. If I eat a fresh plant, fresh strawberry that I handpick from the ground is going to be a lot better than something dehydrated that's been in a bag on a shelf for six months. Thousand percent. The more alive it is, the better it is for you. And, yeah. And as as I've said, stated before, Paul Selig states this through the guides, and this is way more esoteric, but all is of or nothing is. Either all is God or nothing is. Hmm. Everything is conscious. And if you partake in plant medicines, you realize animism, something that's been talked about for many millennia through the ancients, is understood viscerally. You get it. It's direct contact. Everything is animated with the same source you and I are. Hmm. So to place hierarchy on this animal's more like me, I could never eat a this because it's so much like me. I could never eat a that. It's much more intelligent than the other. It's like That's like saying... The, the panda is more godlike than the grizzly bear because the panda eats bamboo and the grizzly eats fish. Hmm. It's fucking nonsense. That's <laughs> what the small self makes those kind of those kind of claims and those kind of delineations and ordering of what's good and bad, right and wrong, and all that other shit. I'm dude. I'm I'm right there with you. And I mean, animal agriculture is amazing. Like I'm not. I don't uh, condone the factory farming system at of all. Of course. But when you raise an, I mean, think about the an animal's ability to upcycle foods that no human being would want to eat. People are like, people always make this argument that the that the vast majority of grains um, grown in this country are to feed animals. Animals are not eating corn on the cob and edamame in in the you know soybeans in the form of edamame. No, they're eating like soy cakes, which are a byproduct of the creation of soybean oil, which is used, which is, which saturates the modern food supply, which humans, you know, consume. So humans, you know, eat the, the soybean oil and then the soy cakes, which are a byproduct of the, of producing soy oil ends up going to feed these cows. So they're eating basically junk that nobody else would want to eat. It's not, this is not edible food and, or, you know, byproducts and throwaways and things like that. And they're upcycling it into the most amazing form of nutrition. I mean, even a you could you could argue that even a piece of of factory farmed meat is you know going to be healthy for most people it's an amazing source of protein and i'm not i'm not condoning the its consumption um grass-fed beef is obviously going to be much healthier uh and better for the environment and all that stuff and you know factory farmed animals suffer immensely um but it's just amazing that you can feed a cow pretty much anything and they're going to turn whatever you feed them into into nutrition um, and it's so privileged to be able to, you know, that that we're able to um, think otherwise today. But um, this is the only time in human history where yeah. we've had a hundred percent carnivore, one hundred percent vegan. Right. That's it. It didn't fucking exist. We're all omnivores. Yeah. You know, even even among the tribes that would eat, you know, live ninety percent subsistence upon uh, fermented yams and cassava and things like that. They're going to eat grubs. They're going to eat whatever they can get their fucking hands on. Whatever they can get their hands on. There's a great documentary that I was watching um, on a flight recently called Wasted about food waste. And I don't remember the statistics, but it's something crazy like, well, first of all, your average household wastes about $1,500 worth of food every single year. So people can complain about not being able to afford healthy food. $1,500 is being just thrown out because of food waste. Um, a lot of that food waste is ending up in landfills where it undergoes bacterial fermentation. So what you don't want to happen is for your food to end up in landfills. It's a major source of greenhouse gas emission. Um, so again, people love to just point fingers at, um, you know, uh, animal husbandry and, and industrial farming. If you're wasting food, you know, 
there you're you're having an environmental impact if you are plant-based but you're consuming almond milk or you're you know eating lots of avocados i mean there's a huge environmental toll there to produce your almond milk isn't it a gap well i lived in california which i think well grew up born and raised uh 80 of the world's almonds come out of california was the stat that i had heard back in the day that sounds about right internationally and from the start to finish, one almond cost, it will take a, an entire gallon of water <laughs> to get one fucking almond. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, yeah. It's just, it's shocking. Not to mention that your average gallon of almond milk sold in the supermarket is basically just packaged water, you know, sold for sold at a premium. There's about three almonds worth of nutrition. Spraying some synthetic vitamins and minerals. Yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> what it is. I mean, they have... And and actually, I'll I buy those because I think you're getting the almond milk flavor, uh, and you're using less almonds to do so, um, and you're getting there's a lot fewer calories, so you're kind of getting your your almond fix. You're getting your almond fix. You can use it in your cereal, or whatever you're using almond milk for, um, you know. So and they have like these newer almond milks on the market now that use a lot more almonds, and they're a lot thicker, but they're more caloric as well. So um, I'm not crapping on on uh, on almond milk necessarily but um but yeah i mean it's just the food system is is so complex it's infinitely complex and i think most people 99% of people barely know the half of it and it's just this uh this funny thing where people just love to play armchair expert and um and it's not it's it's not uh it's not constructive you know, today, when you look at statistics, most people are heading towards obesity, or many people, I should say, are heading towards obesity. Most people are either overweight or obese um, already. Twelve percent of people are in optimal metabolic health; the vast majority are not. Um, Alzheimer's rates are skyrocketing. Autoimmunity is on the rise. So we've got bigger problems, and um, and I think at the at the root of it, of it all, at the foundation, is food and being able to make you know more optimal choices for you and your loved ones. I think that's really what it's, what's key. And by being the healthiest version of yourself, that is what is going to be ultimately the best for the environment. It's gonna to lead to optimal intellectual capital for our species. Um, you know, We need our, our most optimal brain power to be able to solve these grand challenges. It's gonna reduce healthcare costs. Um, by you know wasting less food, we're gonna be you know, obviously contributing less to um, the environment, environmental challenges that we're seeing. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's an, we're, we're, it's like this, the most infinitely complex system and, you know, we're all implicated in it. We're all playing a part. And so I just try to like think about that stuff. And at the end of the day, give people a guide so that they can make choices because you have to act. Yeah. And once you're aware, there's no, there's no turning back. Right. You know, once you take the red pill, Unless you're uh, Joey Pantaleone and you're like, why did I take the red pill? And yeah. he's talking to the to the fucking bot and he's like, I want to eat this steak and and uh, and not wonder if the if the algorithm got it right or wrong. You know, yeah. like he just wants to forget ignorance is bliss. That doesn't actually exist in real life. In real life, when you're made aware of something, you can choose to fucking you know go off. The, if I'm out to eat and it's a conventionally raised steak that's 30 days aged or whatever, I'm not gonna fucking. I'm not going to be up in arms about it. I'm going to eat the steak. Yeah, but I'm also not going to McDonald's ever again. There's there's the line in the sand. You know what I'm saying? And I think from from that, you begin to grow the awareness. It's it's hard when you understand what's at stake for the planet and ourselves mm -hmm. to actually make decisions that aren't in your best favor. 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 <laughs> um, well, we 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 hammered, and I and I, I do want to give you know another the last argument I'll make uh, about this, which. Uh, Paul Saladino does a great job of, and Rob Wolf, whenever his book comes out this year, is really getting into is regenerative agriculture. And I think that for anyone on either side of the fence, and it's it's funny to me still because, you know, I don't put this guy on blast. I like him. He's a great person. Um, he was in the TV show Entourage and, uh, you know, came to my house and he's a big advocate for plants and he wants to do it for the environment. Hmm. And so I said, have you read the book, The Soil Will Save Us? And he said, no, I haven't. What's it about? And I told him about how regenerative agriculture through ruminant animals will save the earth because we can sequester carbon for up to 500 years yeah. if we have restorative agriculture that rebuilds the microbiome of the soil, rebuilds the grasslands, uh, actually allows for 
the rains to actually set into the ground and restore the earth. And then these ruminants will actually sequester carbon, even with the fucking methane farts at a rate much higher than anything else can set aside from restoring the Amazon and actually rebuilding our forests. So with that, I explained it to him and he said, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to eat meat. And I, and I laughed and I didn't mean to laugh, but it was like, well, no farmer goes into business to restore the planet without a way to pay for it. And unfortunately, as you know, the costs of doing it organically and pastured, 100% pastured are high. Mm -hmm. And through subsidiaries and all the other fucking means, they make it cheap to get in the factory farm game, right? And that's cheaper to the end consumer. But you vote with your dollar. And I think that was one of the most important things that came out of the documentary Food Inc. That's how you fucking make a change. Mm. Where your money goes, people respond. And they showed by the end of that documentary, even Walmart had organic yogurt. You know, and now there's very large, you know, corporate companies that are listening to the consumer. So you vote with your dollar and there are cheaper ways to do that through, you know, going in on a quarter cow with some family members and friends. And then, then you can get hundred percent pastured grass fed cattle that you'll, you'll have for a while, you know, at a much cheaper rate than going to Whole Foods. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I could grow my own, my own meat, I would, but I, this is not the reality of, of, you know. Living in LA, living in, in LA, yeah, just have a cow in my backyard. <laughs> but there are, but there are places. There yeah, are, of you know, course, there are plenty of places you can go in on. And obviously, if you're in an apartment, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have a fucking giant meat freezer. Maybe but, there's a way to do that. Maybe I mean, we call up our friends at Bill Campo. Do you know the Bill Campo guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, incredible. And, like adopt a cow, you know, and know exactly where I'm getting uh, my meat from. I support companies like that that are carbon negative. Um, yeah, I mean, you're completely right. And why eat meat? Because it's freaking good for you. I mean, it's a, I think it's a health food. Um, you know, in terms of the of the nutrition that you're getting in red meat, um, especially as it pertains to the brain, it's just unbeatable. You know, I mean, maybe not unbeatable. Wild. Well, wild I'd say I'd say organ is, I'd say organ meat. Yeah. You could put that as unbeatable. Yeah. If you're talking grass fed, grass finished uh, organs from ruminant animals. I don't know that there's another product on the planet that is as bioavailable right. or as micronutrient dense as organ meat. Yeah, and it tastes great. Um, when I'm traveling and I, if I end up at a steakhouse, I'll do like a, uh, if, if I can't eat grass-fed, I'll usually do like a leaner cut. I think mm -hmm. if you're eating fattier meat, like you say burger meat, for example, you, you really want it to be grass-fed because what a cow eats obviously is going to dictate the healthiness of its fat more than anything else and toxins are stored in the fat in yeah. humans as well as in any animal exactly so if i'm traveling and i'm you know i find myself at a steakhouse or even if i'm not traveling if i'm just in my in my home city and i'm at a, at a really good steakhouse i'll get like a fillet or like a leaner cut not the ribeye uh generally i won't get the ribeye yeah i mean i, I happen to like fillets a lot some people don't because i love them too yeah i They're love incredible them. i love them yeah so i'll, I'll do that because it's leaner it's lean while also being super tender um, so that's sort of my my cut of choice. But if I'm home cooking, yeah, then I'll make like fatty, you know, fatty meat up the wazoo. And I know that I'm, you know, if if I'm getting my meat from, if it's Whole Foods, if it's Belcampo, if it's wherever, uh, Butcher Box, I'm a, I'm a big fan of. These are all great purveyors of meat. And I think that that, it's so amazing that we live in a time now where people can access, can have access to, to high quality meat as well. Um, it's crucial. My mom was a low meat eater. She, she never ate red meat. She never ate re uh, eggs. You know, her diet was predominantly plant-based with the exception of the occasional piece of protein um, and things like that. And, uh, you know, I obviously can't say that that's what led to her, her illnesses, but um, certainly didn't protect her. You know, there was definitely something wrong in my mom's, in my mom's diet and lifestyle. And I just don't think that, that genes um, were the entire answer. Certainly not. No, they're never the entire yeah. answer. And that's the bill of goods that's sold to us you know, through Western culture, through yeah. Western medicine. Right. And in, in both, in, in both cases I experienced with her, just this bleak, you know, there's just no, no good, no good news from the doctor's offices. You know, it was diagnosed in adios in every doctor's appointment with my mom when she was first diagnosed with, uh, dementia. And then with, with the cancer, they couldn't provide anything either. So I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm a fan of Western medicine for sure. I think it's uh, you know, it's done great things for the world. You know, if you if you, if I break a bone, if I have an infection, I'm going to go to the emergency room. Um, but yeah, I think that that healthcare is something that you know that begins with you. It's when you're deciding whether or not you're going to get up off the couch, hit the gym, when you're pushing your shopping cart around the supermarket, 
uh, when you're when you're debating with yourself whether or not to stay up an extra two hours and, and continue binge watching that show or or go to bed earlier, you know, because of the the restorative value of sleep. That's where healthcare happens. We go to these doctors. I think um, when we're sick, we go for sick care, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we're we should be grateful that we have doctors to go to when we're sick, um, but. They're not preventing anything. They're not. Yeah, they're just not. I mean, most it's it's hard to find a doctor that really knows what they're talking about in terms of nutrition. I experienced this firsthand in you know in the top hospitals that we have in the United States. I mean, I was in cathedrals to you know to Western medicine to to academic medicine, and not once was was nutrition or lifestyle ever brought up. Um, and I also thought it was kind of odd that. Like, you know, being in there, being in those offices with my mother, um, that, that my own health was something that was never discussed. And I understand sort of technically why, why, cause you know, I wasn't the patient being seen, but when you have a loved one with a condition, you suddenly are at risk for that condition. And you know, what, what's being done in my life to make sure, you know, from, from the powers that be to make sure that I don't develop the conditions that my mom developed, nothing. So it's just super important, I think, as a, as a sentient individual to realize that time is guaranteed to nobody and you got to do what you can while you can to, to, to make sure that you're, that you're living your best life and that you're going to be able to continue living your best life tomorrow, next week, next month, years from now, because um, nobody else has your back in that in that sense no doubt we touched on sleep obviously we touched on uh strength training which is i mean the both of those pillars are absolutely incredible uh get serious was a book that i read by a neuroscientist all on strength and conditioning training how it impacts the brain wow uh, metabolic health insulin resistance all of that it's a great book he was prescient because i mean really there's been a bias in the literature i think for um, in terms of exercise, the the focus has really been placed on aerobic exercise mm -hmm. um, predominantly, but strength training is massive. I Even David Sinclair, when he went on Rogan's, was talking about that. He works out once a week, and it's like a, a run and a stretch. And Rogan was like, "Dude, you got to lift weights." Yeah, you know? and it's obviously you didn't have the science to support that, but there's that book is littered with science. I think people really appreciate it. If will appreciate it if you uh, have been averse to strength and conditioning. And look, there's there. There's no, you know, as we talked about the prescriptive, no one size fits all to anything. You can find something you enjoy that's under load. You can find some form of resistance training under load that you'll enjoy. It might be with kettlebells or some of the functional stuff we have it on it, shameless plug, or it might be through the barbell. It might be through a number of other things. It might be through doing hill repeats, you know, sprint work, whatever the case is that stuff matters and will give you more bang for your buck, right? The minimum effective dose that uh, Tim Ferriss drove home in the four hour body, that's where you get it. You don't get it with mileage. You know, you don't get it with hours on the road on a bicycle. All that's great too. And if you're adding that in, that's awesome, but you can't forego this thing over here that's gonna make the most bang for the buck. Talk about some of the other lifestyle changes that you go through in this book. Yeah, so I mean, I talk about the the relationship that we have with light and temperature. Those are two, I think, crucially important um, things that most people underappreciate. Uh, I go deep into the this burgeoning field of research that's being called circadian biology. So it's basically our relationship with light, and um, and also food. Uh, the chief time setter that your brain uses to know what time of day it is is the light that you allow to enter through your eyes, and so. It's, a, it's really important, I think, every day to make sure that you're spending at least a half an hour being exposed to the natural light from the outside world. It doesn't have to be direct sunlight. You need about a thousand lux of light in the morning. Lux is a measure of light intensity. There's a great app actually called Lux where you can get a sense of your ambient light intensity. Um, but generally, even on an overcast day, uh, the sky is gonna be about 1,000 to 10,000 lux of light. Just as a frame of reference, uh, you know, direct sunlight is going to be about fifty to one hundred thousand lux of light. Um, but a thousand lux is what it takes uh, to essentially anchor your body's circadian clock, which is the twenty-four hour timer that dictates when you're going to feel at your most focused, when you're going to feel at your most energetic, when you're going to be at your most coordinated, when melatonin is going to st start to inch up and you know reduce the processes that support uh, the efficiency of the processes that support daylight associated activity, when you start to get tired and when you ultimately end up going to sleep. And food plays a major role there as well. We know that we're most insulin sensitive uh, during the day. So if you're gonna consume 
carbohydrates. Generally, you want to do it. There's probably two um, scenarios where you know you're going to be optimizing for fuel partitioning. It's going to be either in the daytime when again you're at your most insulin sensitive, or in the post workout setting where you can sort of artificially induce insulin sensitivity uh, with exercise. You get the benefits of something uh, a really powerful mechanism called insulin independent glucose uptake so after a workout your muscles basically become a sponge for sugar so even if you're if it's in the sort of early evening um you know you can you can basically hack that you know yeah. to, to consume your carbs uh dr sachin pano i think was one of the first guys to break that circadian rhythm with uh carbohydrate and blood blood sugar tolerance mm -hmm. and uh one of the things that really fascinated me and made a lot of sense if you think uh, ancestrally was that in the summertime we can also process carbohydrates better than in the wintertime for most people longer days we're also more active that kind of thing um but yeah eating your carbohydrates in the day as opposed to in the evenings unless you're doing something like carb night where you can backload post-workout and that seems to be really effective as well i know ben greenfield and a lot of people have gotten away obviously he works out like a fucking machine yeah but he can go as high as 200 250 grams of carbohydrates and still has like five percent body fat because of the amount of workload he's doing and then timing those carbohydrates at dinner yeah. after he's done all of his activities. Yeah, he's a beast. I got to work out with him in Arizona recently and uh, I thought that I worked out intensely. He's he's next level. Um, but yeah, I mean, you tend to be, you're gonna be most insulin sensitive in the day. Some people, you know, find that a little bit of carbs before uh, bed can uh, boost sleep the way that it does that. You know, it boosts serotonin, like tryptophan. It allows ser uh, tryptophan easier access into the brain, which is the precursor not only to serotonin, but to mel melatonin. Um, that'd be like 30 grams something in the ball yeah not, not nothing not major but yeah 30 grams 30 40 grams um could be great uh but yeah sachin panda he was on the team that discovered the melanopsin protein which is um the protein in our eyes that is sensitive basically to that 1000 lux of light which then interfaces with a, a tiny it's about half the size of a chocolate chip uh region in the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus which is sort of your brain's master time setter it's in the hypothalamus so the reason why i bring that up is because the hypothalamus controls Basically, whatever's key to the survival of an organism, it's like a very primordial region of the brain involved in, um, you know, our drive to consume food, our drive to procreate. It sort of controls the metabolic master switch um, that's in there. So that region of the that region of the brain interfaces directly with our eyes, and so you need that light to basically set off your body's um, this this clock, which informs everything. And it's also important for disease prevention. So melatonin, which begins to creep up, it's released by the pineal gland um, once the sun begins to recede typically, although today because we're just flooded with artificial light, you know, we, we've become dysfunctional in that regard as well. But melatonin is a super powerful antioxidant and it's also um, involved in, uh, it's a gatekeeper to the process known as autophagy which is sort of like the KonMari method for, uh, for biology. It's sort of like when your cells clean house and tidy up and get rid of dysfunctional worn out proteins and, and organelles and things like that. And this is one of the reasons it's been proposed that this is that, that the, that impairing our brain's ability to produce melatonin could be indicted in the reason in, in the, in the observation that people who work night shifts tend to have higher incidence for certain cancers. So making sure that your melatonin is expressed unperturbed in the evening, uh, crucially important. And so that's where I think being really mindful of um, both the light that you, that you actually want to enter your eyes in the daytime, but also the light that you allow to enter your eyes uh, later on the, in, the, in the evening, super important for, for everything, for how you feel, for digestion, but also for your risk for, for disease. So that's a big part of the book, Circadian Biology. Food also plays a role. Food is another time setter. Exercise is another time setter. The chief time setter, I think, is is light. But you know, if you're eating too late at night, that can disrupt your your um, your flow, your circadian rhythm. Um, I see a lot uh, in the fitness space. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of the of people in the in the fitness community, especially like the calories in, calories out zealots <laughs> uh, that say that if it fits your macros, if it fits your macros, yeah. 
<laughs> that you know that that argue that it really doesn't matter what time of day you eat as long as you're eating fewer calories these are the same people mind you that will say the same amount of calories of donuts are equal to the same amount of calories of broccoli yeah yeah i go to war with not war but I, you know i've learned a lot from them actually as well but i i think that it's uh it's just misguided it's very poor advice um and it's actually not not true i mean it's you know uh a, we'll take a bagel, like a hundred calorie piece of food. We'll just say it's like a, a bagel. That bagel is not going to magically have 150 calories if you eat it at 9 p.m. compared to 7 p.m. So that's not how it works. But circadian disruption can affect the hormones that that govern the calories outside of the equation. So if you're consistently eating too late at night, you're actually messing up in some way, or at least, you know, I should say you're altering hormones like leptin and ghrelin, which are going to affect you know your it definitely has an influence. Those hormones influence weight loss or weight gain. Leptin is the metabolic master regulator. It speaks to the hypothalamus again, which I mentioned, you know, is a metabolic master switch. Um, could reduce your metabolic rate. It can it can also affect next day hunger by altering um, altering uh, activity of ghrelin, which is the satiety hormone. It's sort of it's like the hunger hormone secreted when your stomach is empty. Um, so. So yeah, eating too late at night, I don't think is a, is a smart move. It's also not good for digestion. Um, as the evening uh, creeps up, peristalsis slows down, which is the transition of contents through your GI tract. Um, it could allow food to, to ferment um, in the small intestine, which you don't want to happen. Um, can create you know unpleasant digestive symptoms and things like that. So that's where I think, uh, you know, from a circadian standpoint, this push towards um, time restricted eating or intermittent fasting, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to call it, I think is super smart. Um, and I talk about my views on that as well uh, in the book. But yeah, just our body's relationship with time, I think, is really important. And you know, I think uh, what we eat still is going to matter more. Um, you know, so for people who are stuck in jobs that you know ask them to work late nights and things like that. Um, you know, I would say to them, don't worry, just try to get the, get the, the diet right. If you can't get the timing right. Um, but timing does matter. Um, that's what all the research seems to be indicating at this point. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, I think Panda was talking too about, um, the, the microbiome is, has its own circadian rhythm as well. Yeah. Right? So as you go to bed, or even if you're supposed to be going to bed and winding down all that bacteria and fungal network, it's starting to wind down and go to bed. Yeah. So in terms of processing power, and, and if you think of us as a host of, you know, like a, a, an orchestra of organisms, which we are, then you have to consider what everyone else is doing in your household, yeah, right? Exactly. If everybody else is asleep and you're like, I want to throw a party and eat some fucking shitty food right now, and everybody else is going to bed, that's not, it's not going to be well, yeah, well received. You're, exactly. You're leading a tribe. It's like, it's crazy to conceive of. And who knows like how ultimately, you know, this is all going to play out. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, in terms of microbiome science and and where microbiome science and circadian biology meet, but um, but yeah, I mean it's a super it's a super good point. And personally, I find that if I'm eating something, if I eat something too late at night, it can actually upset my stomach in a way that the same food wouldn't have if I would just have consumed it earlier. You know, maybe it'll make me a little bit more bloated or something like that. Um, so we know that there's there's a difference. Um, and today, your average person is eating you know, around the clock, the entire 16 hours that they're awake, they're eating or, or metabolizing food. And so I think we need a, we definitely, um, could use a break from that. And all of the, the, the research seems to be indicating that, um, aside from weight loss. So, I mean, time restricted eating is a great way to control your calories. There's no doubt about that in a time where, you know, our proximity to food is just unprecedented you know we always have hyper palatable ultra processed foods at arm's reach today it's just the nature of the modern world right but independent of that independent of its ability to help us shift our body compositions to a more positive state it seems that time restricted feeding is also you know can help us better manage blood pressure which is super important blood sugar which is super important i actually talk about blood pressure in the book um a lot and this is something that i didn't really talk about that much in uh, genius foods, but, you know, maintaining a healthy, um, blood pressure is super important for having optimal brain health. Um, you know, vascular dysfunction is one of the first things to go awry in Alzheimer's disease, but the second most common form of dementia is actually vascular dementia, hmm. um, which is uh, a dysfunction of the blood vessels that supply fuel and nutrients and oxygen to the brain and making sure that you've got a healthy blood pressure. It's going to reduce your risk for stroke, cardiovascular disease, 
um, and also Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. Um, and so not eating too late at night, you know, insofar as it can have an, an, a positive impact on your blood pressure, that's great. Also exercise, exercise is just as effective for people with high blood pressure as medication at reducing um, your blood pressure. Getting sun is great for you. There's a, a really cool study that found that the UVA rays from the sun um, can actually boost nitric oxide, um, which is gonna lower blood pressure and increase blood flow. Um, this is super cool because, you know, when we think about the sun, uh, normally we think about it in one context, right? Like helping us create vitamin D, which we do when our skin is exposed to the vitamin, to the, to the UVB rays from the sun. But the UVA ray, the UVA rays as well might have some utility helping reduce uh, blood pressure and things like that. Um, so, yeah. And then also saunas. I know that you're a huge fan of, of saunas. I actually got a great tip from you the last time you were on my podcast, you know, wearing a sweater, you know, going out in the, in the heat, the poor man's, the, the poor, poor man's man sauna. sauna. Yeah. I thought that was such a great tip because not everybody has access to saunas, you know, but, uh, but yeah, being able to sort of apply a hot compress all over your body, you know, whether it's like the sweater or sitting in a sauna or, you know, again, just going back to the, to the power of exercise, you're boosting nitric oxide all around the body. Um, which is going to boost blood flow, reduce blood pressure, uh, things like that. That's why sauna use is, is associated um, with, a, with a reduction in blood pressure, reduction in risk for stroke, reduction in risk for Alzheimer's disease. All-cause mortality. All-cause mortality, yeah. It's so great. Um, so getting your, getting your blood pressure to a healthy range, super important. And, you know, a lot of adults are on hypertensive, you know, medications for hypertension. Um, and we're also seeing hypertension creep up in teenagers, in, in young kids, which is just tragic. And... The result again of the fact that our diets have just become so mangled and you know we're so sedentary one high sugar meal or drink can keep your blood pressure elevated for two hours after Damn. ingestion so you look at people who are still drinking sugar sweetened beverages and it's hard not to feel you know empathy yeah it's crazy there's a lot of stuff it's a lot brother <laughs> <laughs> it's um yeah, man, we live in a world that's mutated, man, in so many ways. And so I think it's going to take literally going to war with it to uh, to feel good and to get healthy today without, you know, without fear mongering and without being alarmist or whatever. It's just, uh, it's a problem. You know, 93% of our time is spent indoors and we're exposed indoors to air that, that can be, you know, an order of magnitude more polluted than air, you know, outside. So we got to be, I think, a little bit more mindful of our surroundings and of, of where we put our bodies and what we do with our bodies. It's all, you know, I think it's all important when it comes to living a genius life. That's what I, that's what I call it. Fuck yeah, brother. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Well, uh, people can get the book. Is it out now? It's up for pre-order. If you order it before March 17th, please pre-order. It's massively helpful for the book. Um, you can go to geniuslifebook.com or pick it up on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, after March 17th, yeah, it's it's going to be out in every major major bookstore. Cool. We'll try to get this launched right around the launch date, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, that would mean a lot. Yeah, it's been incredible having you on. Where can people follow you online? Yeah, at Max Lugavere on Instagram, Max, L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. -E. Um, and I've also got my own podcast. It's also called The Genius Life. I've had Kyle on it. That was an amazing chat, and I look forward to having you on it again sometime soon. Fuck yeah, brother. I yeah. can't wait. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks for having me back. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you didn't sense too much doom and gloom out of me in the intro, but I promise you uh, I'm, I'm in a good spot. Hopefully you're in a good spot. Remember to relax. That will help you live longer no matter any situation. Always take the chill pill. Always find time for yourself. I love you all. Be safe. Thank you for tuning in. Also visit kingsboo.com where you can stay up to date on the newsletter since I'm off social media. So if you want to see what I'm up to, what my take on all this stuff is, Visit me there, and I'll look forward to hearing from you.